Hello, everybody. Chris Martinson here. And today we're going to be talking about finance and economics as part of Finance U. Remember, anything that you see in this video and all resources available at our websites or affiliated websites are not intended as or construed as financial advice. This is for educational purposes. Remember, if you have a financial decision, please consult a financial professional. We are not attorneys. We're not CPAs. We are not financial managers. As well, we do our best to be accurate and everything we represent is as accurate as we know it to be. Now, let's turn to our program. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Finance University. You can tell I take it serious because I threw a jacket on over my t-shirt today. So, <laughs> hey, Paul, good to see you again. Great to have you back. Hey, Chris, it's a pleasure to see you as well. I like the t-shirt. I've not tried that yet. Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, it. It you can tell. It it shows I care about the audience, and I do. I think you gotta you gotta look the part. So I'm glad we're both smiling and laughing because obviously there's a lot of things not to laugh about. This past week, here we are. It is October 19th here in 2023, and um, obviously a lot of things going on in the Middle East. All sorts of markets busting a move. You know the the thing I the, my metaphor for this my is uh, I hear the creaking and popping sounds like like you might hear as a superstructure is under strain, right? Yes. And so I wanted to discuss today with people what it means that we're seeing the 10-year U.S. Treasury note bust such a serious move. I'd like to give that some context. I think this is more serious than people understand. And I'm worried that it's going to get a little out of control that's going to force the Federal Reserve to do something dumb, like, stop me if you've heard this before, print more money. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, and create more inflation and 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 pardon my French, but screw the little people with inflation so they can save their big banker buddies um from any more profit losses and 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 from the downsides of the policy errors that the Federal Reserve has given us. People need to know about this, Paul, because this really shapes our lives. And it's a small cabal, I use that word carefully, of unelected officials who think they're smarter than markets deciding that we needed zero interest rates for all those years. That was the monetary vandalism that sets the stage for the catastrophe that I think is coming. And I just want to talk about that because people need to be prepared. And I know you help them financially with that. Yes, yes. And and if this is the event where everything gets out of control, then there's both going to be a lot of chaos and a lot of opportunity that's going to rise. So it's not absolutely the end of the world. Sorry about that. My phone went off. Um, it's not the end of, end of the world for the people who are prepared, looking at this with eyes wide open and and make the adaptations necessary to protect themselves during a period of time where there's no conservative way to protect yourself against extreme inflation and bond chaos. Yeah. Now, one of my key phrases that I said back in when I made the crash course uh, first in 2008 was I said, the next 20 years are going to be completely unlike the last 20 years. And that's yeah. a mountaintop. There were a number of things that that sit down to make the firmament of that structure. But one of them was this idea that, you know, we are, we're human. So we have this recency bias and everybody alive, you know, formed their impression of how the markets work during a very unusual period of time, which is when interest rates were constantly falling. And so that's how the world works, right? Now, I've been reading, listening to the book on tape, uh, incredible book about money. And this guy made a really great point, Paul. He said, look, if you grew up in the Great Depression, that's how the world works to you. You understand that's your framing and you have a completely different metaphor of money than somebody who grew up in a high inflationary environment, right? 
And they're both right. You, they're both lived, felt experiences of money that then shape how you see the world, right? And so for the person in a high inflation environment, you just think, well, I shouldn't hold on to money. You know, debt is my friend. There's a lot of things you would do, right? Similarly, somebody who's fall, you know, figuring out how the world works when constantly falling interest rates were the norm, that's a very different world than one where they are going up. <laughs> yes, yes. But but the point of the book was that's how you form your worldview, and it's really hard to break out of that worldview once you have it, right? Like you'll keep trying to force fit your investments into that framework, and, and so the idea is how can we become nimble and understand that that has changed. The world's just different. Yes. And it's going to take an, an open-mindedness and a recognition of our uh, recency bias, that, that that mental weakness that we have in our human wetware, to be able to be adaptive enough going forward. And as you talk about that, it reminds me, you know, my grandfather lived through the Great Depression, and uh, and he talked about that all the time. He hated debt. He abhorred debt. I have a lot of clients, especially in the baby boomer generation, who still kind of make fun of their parents for their unwillingness to embrace debt the way that the baby boomer generation has. But again, if you look at these cycles that are coming through, if we're moving back into that period of time where, where this debt becomes a problem, then that, that's a mindset that, that the large majority of especially politicians have no clue how to deal with. Because there, there's no concern whatsoever coming out of Washington, D.C. right now about the level of our debt or the trajectory that our debt is upon. Indeed. So, so let, me, let me go there real quick. I'm just going to share my screen here. I hope I share the right one. It would probably be this one. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to supersize this. Ding. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? I can. All right. 10-year bus move. So this is the chart I wanted to discuss. This is the U.S. 10-year yield, right? So you can see it's in the, there's two channel lines. So for people who are maybe just listening and not watching, we're looking at a chart of the 10-year. It goes way back. It's historical. And it starts from 1984-ish. Um, but there's a big moment there where in 1986, you know, interest rates were falling and then they went back up and then they topped hit the top of this channel and then they went back down and hit the bottom of the channel then back up oh no interest rates are going up and sort of get near the top of that channel and then back down to the bottom top bottom seesaw boop, 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 all the way down until now you can see starting there in 2022 something really different happened it busted out of this 40 year old channel and mm -hmm. it's busted out convincingly. So, Paul, from a chart standpoint, how do you what do you make of this? From a chart standpoint, you know, you have to look at that when we talk about that recency bias. So, especially with computer algorithms, technical analysis, trading from a bond standpoint, what individuals will do is when you get to the top of that range, they're going to bet that rates are going to go down. So, and you can see that, you know, that that 2019 move raised that bar just a little bit. But you can see you get close to the top and you go down and you hit that lower level. And then they they assume that rates are going to work their way back up, kind of like that pendulum swinging on your on your trend down. But when you have a break of a long term established trend channel like that, that tells us that that hindsight bias and the expectation that that a recency bias and the expectation that that rates are going to go back down 
people moved against that. And that puts a lot of people on the wrong side of the table. That's one of the reasons why we're seeing banks that have so many losses in their long-term treasuries right now is no one expected this to happen because they've not seen it since 1986. And they assumed that we were going to continue to see more of the same. So this is, yep. this is a, a breaking the glass moment where, where everything in the past we have to assume is changed. Now that doesn't mean we won't have rates come down in the short run, but it's a high probability that that channel is going to go up in the other direction for the next 20 years because interest rates are cyclical throughout history. You have periods of high rates. You have periods of low rates. People are foolish about that debt. And I'll tell you, I was thinking a lot yesterday with that new hundred billion here and hundred billion there and how <laughs> yeah. fast our national debt is rising. It's like with the foolishness of our politicians out there right now, mm -hmm. why the world do you want to tie your uh, money up for 20 or 30 years? Maybe the big institutions are realizing that, that we have a change in this regime. Now we have a change in interest rates and they're much more cautious about 30 year mortgages while we're over 8% at this point, they need to be compensated for that that long-term inflationary risk. So this is a, a dramatic change for pensions, for individual investors, and it's going to take a much different mindset going forward to be successful over the next 20 years. Well, sure. Now, now something I want to, two things I want to point out, because again, this is the recency bias, but the recency is 40 years. You, you know, you can't be faulted for, for thinking that 40 years is a trend and this is just how the world works, right? Right. But- and you made a second point, which I want to underscore here, which is like, well, you know, it's kind of funny. I think how they drew that top line. Here's how I would have drawn that top line. I'm and I think it. we had a, I think we had a head fake there in 2018 where, where, let me get my laser pointer out so we can track along here for anybody watching this. This right here, this is where it busted out of that trend line as I would have drawn it the first time. Cause you see the way I'm drawing it here, we're just hitting the tops, Right. It's a yeah. much more coherent trend line. So this was a head fake. They happen all the time. This was the drive down. Now, this is half a percent on 10 years. I've mm -hmm. marked it with this arrow, but it didn't make it back down to the bottom trend line, which would have actually, if it had gone all the way, would have been in negative territory, which is where Europe was, right? Mm -hmm. At that time, 2019, right. it was in negative territory, but US 10-year didn't get there. And then, so this was the head fake. This was the thing that suckered in include everybody, including all those big, sophisticated banks. And yeah. this is the destruction of that's this this line right here for anybody listening. I'm pointing to this line shooting upwards for the yield. That's where that eight hundred billion, seven hundred billion dollars of unrealized losses on bank balance sheets is sitting. That's what you've been told about. There's equivalent losses in endowments, pension funds, anybody else who was who was forced on a fiduciary standpoint to invest over a, a, a fiduciary time frame, you know, they all got hammered by this. So that's how well, I would have drawn that top trend line there. The one thing I want to point out, and, and I'm glad that you had that trend line in because that's how I had it drawn and, and others that I follow. I don't know that the 2018, 19 breakout was necessarily a head fake. What I would consider that Chris is that was the breakout that lit the fuse for where we are today. The problem is you had, you know, once you had that indication, we broke out, everybody's like, oh, this is a fake breakout when we came back into that trend channel and you had intermediate term forces that caused it to go lower. But that was your first warning of a trend change. And that's one thing the markets will do from time to time. You know, you may have a breakdown below support, 
that looks like a, a head fake or what they would call a bear trap. You know, you think the market's going to melt down. You get this rally that lasts for six or 12 months, mm -hmm. collapse through that level uh, later. So the market tends to give us a warning, you know, before and especially in, in interest rates, it's going to be a longer warning because rates historically move a little bit slower and bond investors a little more patient. Yeah. This is, oh, uh, I can't draw in here. All I got is a laser pointer. But this to me, oh, let me bring that back on. This to me is like a classic, perfect inverted head and shoulders. This is oh, a absolutely. classic chart pattern, isn't it? It is. It really is. Head, head and shoulders and a breakdown through the shoulder tells you you've got a brand. It's a new game until until something changes that. Well, the interesting thing right now is the narrative on on in the markets and in Wall Street and every professional investor advisor that I talk to is there's no way interest rates are continu going to continue to go higher. There's no way they're going to continue to go higher. Now, right. I will say it looks like this run is a little overstretched. But the question is, is, is are, are investors finally saying enough? Are we going to have the Fed chairman come out and say, Washington, you've got to rein in your spending? Will he do that? I don't know. And, and maybe, you know, is the rest of the world, we've got China who's had to sell some of their treasuries recently to defend their currency. So we don't know when this run will stop, but it's a good indication that things have changed and they've changed from a long-term standpoint. Yep. Yep. So here's, so and, and to that idea though, Paul, the people are like, wow, you know, they can't go higher or they won't, right? I think they're, they're just speaking the recency bias. They're like, that, wait, shouldn't these things keep going down? That's what's always happened. So I'm not sure that's a very sophisticated view. I don't think it's fundamentally sustainable because I took the liberty this morning to just pull out. I went to U.S. Uh, Debt to the Penny, one of my favorite websites. I, I can't wait for them to pull that data series down because it's so useful. Um, I can't believe the Treasury Department still releases it. But um, this is uh, showing U.S. federal debt total on the top line, which is composed of two components, which is intragovernmental holdings, which is a fancy way of saying are the rated social security piggy bank and total public debt um, outstanding is a function of that plus debt held by the public. This is the treasury market. So everybody's been talking lately, Paul, about this, this, this last little boost right here. It's extraordinary. Um, yeah. it, it's a really big boost, but I want to put it in context. I've drawn two lines on here. It's actually the same line. It it might not look like it, but this line here, which shows that I don't think anything that's happened of late is takes us off of the trend substantially. It's just that we were held flat for all that time because of that so-called debt ceiling. And then this is the rebound to make up for lost time. But what I see on this chart, two things. First, that since 2020, this is the trend. I think we're still, I could make an argument we're maybe slightly above trend, but not that much. And mm -hmm. this is the same line. It I know optically it's an optical illusion, it looks like, but this is the same slope. This isn't this one over here isn't steeper. I just took this one, copy pasted, and dragged it over just mm -hmm. to show that that whole rate at which we were going broke as a country from 2013 to 2020 was a very much lower slope than yes. this one. <laughs> yes. It's like whatever we're doing now. It's like we have a whole new regime, which happened courtesy of COVID, gave the US government this idea that that this is, this is, we can just do this now. Like, right. it's not like we've been deficit spending for decades and this is a continuation. It's like, no, we were, and we've really dialed that game up a little. And it's taken ever more stimulus for less and less impact economically. So, mm -hmm. um, 
that's a that's a good illustration you put together, Chris. I like that. Well, thanks. Um, so I ran a few numbers. So I said, since the debt ceiling's been raised, it's $1.8 trillion. It's been 134 days since that moment, which was back in June of this year. So that's so that's um, days expressed in years. That's 36% of a year, 36.7% of a year. Mm-hmm. So if I if I annualize that last little this little like I this slope, if that slope continues, if if that's the new regime and we're not just on this trend mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. But I was just I'm just playing with some numbers. If that trend continues. Right. It implies that we're on a yearly run rate of almost five trillion dollars of debt accumulation. That's what the past hundred thirty four days of debt accumulation uh, annualizes out to. Well, that's. Right? Puts- perspective that really does that's 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 insane i mean that's that's uh it's 603 billion dollars just over the past month though right so it's been 134 days which is how many months is that you know four four plus right um and 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 so we should have maybe worked off some of that pent-up you know energy like all that pent-up borrowing what is 600 billion over the past month what does that mean and I broke it down. Well, there's 3,200 hours in 134 days. So that means it's been increasing at $566 million per hour. Goodness. That's how much our federal debt's been increasing. But if we said, well, even government doesn't work 24 hours a day. So if we said, well, an eight-hour working day, there's uh, 1,072 working hours in 134 days. That means the government's been <laughs> deficit spending at $1.7 billion per working hour or roughly $13.6 billion per day over this um over the entire time since the debt ceiling's been been raised goodness gracious well that really puts it into perspective chris and the only thing that i can think of as you're as you're sharing that is um who was it said you know how do you go bankrupt slowly and then all at once mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's moving at that pace it's absolutely unsustainable how how does anybody justify this in washington you know we just had janet yellen come out and say oh we can afford two wars like no no janet we can't even afford one war because when you can afford something it means you can pay for it right right there's no affording in here let 13.6 billion dollars per day 1.7 billion dollars per working hour right yeah no janet we can't afford this (laughs) no we we cannot afford it we cannot afford it and, you know, and, and when you look at one thing that's interesting is I think we were talking about earlier, we've heard a lot about real rates lately. You know, have you heard kind of real rates in the news media and kind of financial mm-hmm. publication, uh, yep. which all those are is market rates adjusted for the effects of inflation. Mm-hmm. OK, so, for example, since September, and I know it, I know this is government stated uh, inflation statistics. You and I both know that the inflation statistics are higher than that. And so do those listening out there when they go to the grocery store, they try to purchase a car, they have to repair something. Mm -hmm. But from a government standpoint, real rates are positive now. So, for example, um, uh, September of last since since September of last year, the stated inflation rate has been three point seven percent. The one year Treasury is yielding five point four. The two year Treasury is yielding five point one. And the 10-year Treasury is yielding approximately 4.9. So, you know, at this current trajectory, if it stays this way, safer assets are earning a real positive yield, which is greater than inflation. And that's a big change from the 2017 to 22 timeframe. Well, when we go back and take a look at the data that you just shared, 
I read a really good article, a guy by the name of Peter Cheer of Academy of Securities pointed out that the real story about rates right now is that DC is driving the bond market rates. So, you know, when we look at what the Fed's been saying, yes, they've been saying higher for longer, okay? But the market has, uh, in late August, was pricing in a 70% chance of a hike in November. Well, that's recently dropped to 10% because we are starting to see some deterioration in the economic numbers. The consumer's holding up really surprisingly well. It makes me wonder if the if the consumer is... Uh, is unafraid of debt when you look at credit card debt is what our politicians are. But that since dropped to 10% now. So the market's not necessarily projecting that the Fed has to raise rates. Now, the probability of a hike in December is fluctuated between 30 and 55%. So the question that we have to ask, and this is a question he asked in the article, is why then has the 30-year Treasury gone from 3.8% in July to 5% in October? The 10-year has gone from 4% in July to 4.9 in the same period of time with with surprising moves to the upside. And that has to be something other than the Fed. So the question is, is the market trying to take the punch bowl away right now? And yeah, you know, so uh, there's very little concern, as I mentioned before, about Washington and the trajectory of our debt. Nobody's talking about that at all. And, you know, the increasing supply of treasuries being issued uh, to fund the spending and the interest expense on the existing debt is extremely concerning, absolutely concerning. So, you know, to me, when you really look at it, he, he's got a very good point that this this isn't the Fed, it's the politicians. And the question is, if the Fed's serious about, you know, uh, stamping out inflation, are they going to let Washington do the work for them? And at what point is the Fed going to step in and publicly state, you politicians have to get your spending under control? And if the Fed and Yellen are working together, they don't. Yellen doesn't seem to be interested in that at all because she thinks she has a blank uh, line of credit with uh, the rest of the world. Yep, yep. I'm pulling something up here because I, I'm going to make a, a a quick case here, um, which is that I don't think the Fed actually sets the rates. I think they do, but I think they follow. So let me pull this up real quick. Um, and it is uh, this data series here. So I just had to quick slap a slap a, a thing together. So I'm tracking two things here. Um, one is it's the Fed funds rate. That's this thing in blue. Yes. And the second is the market yield of the U.S. Uh, two year Treasury. Right. Yeah. And and my I don't know how easy this is going to see, but this is the red line is the two year. It rises first, then the Fed funds rate comes up. Let me let me just stop. Yes. With, I don't know why it's giving me all these overlays. Let me just zero in here on a more recent thing. That's I good. think you can make a case that it goes up first, the red line goes up first, and then the blue line follows it. Mm -hmm. Same thing, the red line starts falling, and then the blue line follows it. So the Fed, as long as the two-year rate is rising, I'm convinced the Fed is either going to hold or continue to raise rates. Because they follow. They don't lead. Most people think the Fed does this. No, no, the markets goes first. Or the market's projecting what the Fed's about to do, and the Fed's, you know, got a leaky container, and it and it accidentally tells Wall Street what it's up to, which is a possibility. Right. Alternatively, the two-year, well, at any rate, the two-year gives me, that's what I follow first. So when people are like, what do you think the Fed's going to do? I just go look at the two-year to the Fed funds rate. <laughs> and yes. and right now, right now, the two-year is, is, it came down a bit, and it's still going up. Um, And so... Until that falls, I'm I'm not too worried about the Fed cutting rates. 
Right. Yeah, and the and the two years at a new high now. Again, here just today, yesterday, and today. Yes. Very good point. I, b- I believe that you're right on that, Chris. There's been an argument out there for some time. So, um, so the market maybe maybe taking the punch bowl away. But in addition to that, we're starting to see some things. You know, you've been talking about the creaking and popping, and and that has mm-hmm. continued, and it's continued to get louder. So, one of the carry trades. You know, you and I talked about the yen carry mm-hmm. trade before. Mm-hmm. The very aggressive hot money has been using the Mexican peso as the end carry is the carry trade. Well, that's starting to come apart now. There's some intervention taking place, continuing to t- take place in Japan right now, and then you've had China that's had to intervene in their currency markets at this uh, moment in time. Those are important tremors to pay attention to because they're an indication that we can have an, a, a market earthquake here in the interim period. So I'm kind of curious what the Fed's going to do. Is the Fed going to come out and they're going to, you know, be very dovish or are they going to stay hawkish? Are they going to, Oh, you know, the next move, you know, may not be cutting rates. I'm curious to see what they're going to do in the midst of these rates going higher. If they're going to do, like you said, and follow the market and, and raise rates. Yeah. I'm trying to pull up a, a yen here just to see where we're standing at. Um, uh, it's on my other. It's on my other computer. Yeah, um, I've got the yen. All I, all I have, all I have are the futures, which doesn't help. I I, I can't convert 0. 0.0067 into into units very quickly without a calculator. <laughs> and I don't I don't have the yen chart on this com- on the computer that I'm sitting at here. So yeah, so but they've been fighting this battle just for for to remind everybody they've been fighting this battle. To keep it from going over 150, I don't know why that's a line in the sand, but it seems to be. Um, and to fight that battle, what do you have to do when your your currency is weakening? Well, you have to buy that currency. Well, buy it with what? Well, they're buying it with dollars. Mm-hmm. Where do they get the dollars? Oh, they're holding on to U.S. Treasuries in their in their reserve balances. So they have to sell the U.S. Treasury, take the U.S. dollar receipts, take those dollars, use those to buy their own currency, sell the dollar. So that's what they've been doing. So that's why I think it's another pressure on the 10-year rate or even any of the other interest maturity dates, because that's what Japan has to sell to keep this keep their currency in line. And that's very bad for risk assets if it does come apart, because that means you've got to liquidate the risk assets in the U.S. to pay off the loans that you have over there to limit your losses. So. Yeah. You know, you and I have been talking about this potentially being the danger zone, you know, late July uh, through the end of October. And we've had plenty of fireworks that have taken place here. Of course, nobody could anticipate you know, what's taking place in Israel and that breaking out. But when when our country is in a weak position and our economy is in a weak position, it sure makes it a lot easier for those enemies to make to make the moves that they otherwise wouldn't make. You don't go after somebody after they're they're rested and strong in the morning. You go after them after they're weak and 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 both mm-hmm. mentally and physically after a long, you know, hard day. Yeah. By the way, I did calculate that's why I was a little distracted, but that was uh, 0.0067 is 149 okay. um to the dollar. So so they're holding, they're, they're fighting, but that's a creaking and popping sound because I watched them intervene and the interventions last but for hours now in the and you know i'm seeing that same thing paul in the and so i i'm a i'm a believer that we have interventions in our equity markets constantly at this point in time 
And we have them because it's never a good time to have a down cycle or we wouldn't want the markets to send the wrong impression like that wars are bad for the future or potentially or anything, you know, whatever those mistaken things are that the narrative police really want to not have telegraphed out there. So so uh, that's all fine. And I've been watching these and I've gotten used to them and I, they hardly even make me mad anymore. Sometimes they do. But but I see these interventions. And to me, the turning point, though, creaking, popping sound is when those interventions no longer hold, right? So there was a big intervention right on um, that evening when, when the, on Saturday, Hamas attacked Israel, right? Mm -hmm. And starting on that first futures open on Sunday night, what did we see? Stock futures up, bonds bought, right? Mm -hmm. And oil down and gold down. Mm -hmm. That's the holy quadrumvirate of of the of the market. Oh no, everything's fine. Look, if things weren't fine, oil would be going up and and gold would be popping and stocks would be down. Everything's fine, you know. Uh, and of course, but that only lasted like a week. Normally, right. Paul, when I see those interventions, they throw so much in there because they're a little panicky and their their position is we'd better overdo it. Like they just oversalt the 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 stake, you know. Um, yes. Might as well. Uh, Normally, those last a month to two months. That only lasted a week. It did. And especially with yields going up and gold breaking out of some of these negative trend lines, gold's showing an unbelievable amount of strength with the, with the efforts that are being, both the market forces and the efforts of those working behind the scenes. Yes. Um, you know, it's an interesting time. It's an interesting time. And for those who are patient, stay focused on the long term, and and are adaptive uh, and courageous enough to not just stick their head in the sand, which is not any of your followers, Chris, then they're not going to come through this perfect, but they're going to be able to navigate it to put themselves in a better position so that they're not wiped out, you know, with the herds from the, the foolish leaders that we have out there right now and, and the dishonest. Well, well, how, how, so this concerns me a lot because I'm, I, I'm having conversations about this and I know people. And of course, I watch the distraught people on TikTok and Twitter, mm -hmm. younger people. They're getting crushed by inflation. So, you know, I mean, let me just one quick thing. And then I want to ask you a question about that. Before you said, you know, the consumer is proving to be resilient. Well, we had this strong retail report, which said, oh, year over year, retail sales are up 3.7, 3.6%, something like that. A big surprise. So my point. My point is they don't, those are not inflation adjusted. No. So if it turns out inflation was higher than 3.6%, then that's not such a great report because it means we're actually losing ground. Fewer units are being sold. And of course, that's what the economy is. The economy isn't the nominal amount of dollars. It's the units that got sold. How many, how many plates were served at a restaurant? How many cars were sold, right? So they don't, it still drives me nuts that they don't inflation adjust that, that report. Like, woohoo, it's up 3.6%. I'm like, yeah, well, all due respect, but auto insurance was up 19%. Homeowners insurance was up 14%, on and on and on, right? And so, then, you know, in September last year, the inflation number is up 3.7%. So, you know, but there, there is, there is a subset of the economy and Samantha Leduc uh, made the comment that higher interest rates are inflationary. And I, you know, so I, I've been trying to still man that argument for a period of time. I'm like, okay, so how are higher interest rates inflationary? 
argument is that it's initially inflationary because you've got you've got a lot of individuals, you've got corporations that and and the baby boomers, retirees, a little more conservative that are earning a lot more on their money right now than they were back then. Instead of saving that money, though, they're spending it, and um, so so I don't I, I don't agree I don't I don't believe that these numbers are sustainable at this point. Maybe it's hindsight bias from investors out there going, hey, the government's going to bail, not investors, consumers that are going, hey, the government's going to bail us out. Or look, I'm looking at TikTok all day long and I, I want to live this lifestyle that somebody else does. Or in addition to that, there's a lot of purchases taking place right now because of all the fear that's out there in the world. People are you know, just buying to try to make themselves feel a little bit better. I, I, I've had several clients' children that have kind of talked about their parents were spending some money in a manner that that they shouldn't be because because it was um, kind of like eating that ice cream late at night, nervous purchasing. I don't know. It surprises me. I know my behavior has changed as far as purchases because there's things I'm just not going to spend that much money for right now. And, and maybe those prices stay higher for longer, but I'm willing to wait it out because I really just don't need it. And I'd rather have those money, those monies available to invest into something that can, you know, when that opportunity arises to protect myself from a long-term standpoint. And maybe yeah, well, well, let, let, me, let me add in on that because I, I am throwing money out the door, which I do from time to time. Um, and I'll tell you what I'm what I'm doing. Well, I got a solar project that's expensive, but I had to I I signed a deal over a year ago. This is when we could get to it. I'm talking to the guys. I'm like, you know, how how what's your pipeline like? They're like, oh, you know, we have, you know, another year is on the books right now. People just wanting this, and I I don't, I think that's, it it's a good decision. I think for people, you know, our electricity rates went up 38 percent in the last two years. You know, wow. here, okay. um, so so, but that's you know maybe us in rural or something. I don't know, but it is what it is. So, so a, you know, we want to be sure we have electricity. B, we want to hedge against rising rates, da, 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 all that. But then I had a water heater go out in the the uh, second house on the property, and so I was calling around. Oh, I got first, you know, I have, I have my process. I'm like, you know, plumbers near me, Yelp, Google reviews, sort them, start at the top, right? So I start calling around because the guy I usually use is booked out for a year, and mm -hmm. the first thing is is a woman, and she's like, oh. Yeah, uh, maybe by March, you know, we could oh. get to you. I was like, okay, thanks. I'll call you back, right? And I'm starting to work my way down the list. About the fifth guy down the list, I just get a recorded message that says, we can't find any quality help. We're booked out a year. Don't even bother. I'm like, uh-oh. So I'm starting to get a little panicky, you know? So yeah. I, keep, I, I was like, okay, throw the reviews out. I'm just dialing, right? You know, and eventually I found a guy who could come and, and, and could do it because he had a hole in his schedule and that was great. So I got lucky. I feel, um, but the cost of it was extraordinary, right? So, but I was even, I felt fortunate I could get it done. So while he was here, I said, hey, I have this other house with a water heater. Could you take a look at it? And he goes, it's 15 years old. He said, looks fine, but this is about how long they last. So I booked him right on the spot. I'm defensively, I would rather have a new water heater, you know, and they have these new ones now that actually are heat pumps where they yeah. take the heat out of the basement. And then they also, as a byproduct of that, dry your basement. I need both of those services and they'll do it both in one thing more efficiently. So, so it just all around made sense. So I was like, done. Mm -hmm. So I am now, when I say throwing money out the door, um, I grew up at a time when a new water heater meant you went with your dad, you spent $179 at Home Depot and you cussed for a weekend and it was done, right? Um, you know, 
three grand. Three grand. Wow. But that was a smart decision with the backdrop economically that we have and and, and the potential for ex extremely high inflation in the future and supply chain disruption again. Um, to go ahead and make that decision and get that out of the way. You know, and, it, and it's amazing when you talk about that, you know, I take for granted the fact that that I grew up in the area. A lot of the guys that I went to high school with are in plumbing and other areas. It's important for us to have those relationships with individuals that are in the trades, because then you've got that relationship where you can call up and say, hey, you know, look, I, I need something done. Can you work me in your schedule? And if you've got a relationship with somebody, they're going to continue to work you in. They're going to work you in a little bit quicker than they will somebody that they don't know. So that's mm -hmm. another point to bring up too, is each of us should, should um, you know, make sure that, that we've got connections like that, develop those now because they'll be more important later, especially if things get worse. Well, and, and especially, you know, when it comes to core infrastructure stuff like, well, you know, maybe I'll get this done in a few years when this big thing breaks. Um, I'm starting to think much more defensively. We have a very interesting forum thread back at Peak Prosperity where the title of it is, is making my last car purchase. So people are starting to wonder if they aren't sort of buying like like this. This may be the last car purchase I make because this thing's going to last 10, 15 years. Looking forward, not guaranteed that, that you know, I'll be allowed to buy a car or that there'll be oil enough to make it make sense or whatever. So this might be like, you know, it's not this perpetual. This is just how life is, you know, and keep moving. And like some people are starting to think I might not have another chance <laughs> to yeah. to do this thing, which is how I approach solar, right? And, and again, it's one of these, you know, money out the window things. But at the same time, there's a part of me that says, I know that's the right decision for us to be making here. Well, and I agree with that too, because one of the things we're doing is the architects working on trying to put a roof on the floor plan that we have for the home that we're going to build on the farm. You know, one of my requirements is we're going to incorporate solar, um, you know, any, any efficiency that we can, you know, two to six walls. I want to, I want to spend that money now, even though that's going to be substantially more from an insulation standpoint, for, but from a long-term standpoint, I think it's going to be a, an unbelievably good investment. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I agree. I really like solar thermal a lot. So, so that's going to be the final piece I got to get on here is just, you know, making hot water with, with the sun. It's a, it's a brilliant thing. So looking forward to that now uh but what i wanted to get back to is is okay so i i see these tiktok videos i see the the twitter young people crying right because they're not wrong but the federal reserve screwed them and uh you know with their one percent blowout rates their zerp policy zero interest rate policy all of that what they what they've effectively done was they said oh we really have to rescue house prices which we're in a bubble anyway like yeah. why is that why is that your job, Fed, right? But what they're really doing is they're saying, we're going to reward those who already have homes. Grossly speaking, that's the established generation, aka the older generation. And that's going to disadvantage the younger generation. And now these people are getting online and going, I can't afford this. Like with the recent inflation, there's no chance, even with dual income families, two young people, there's no chance at current rental rates, which follow and tracked along with that whole housing bubble bull crap. They they just they just don't see any any opportunity for them to have household formation, right? No. So so how do we how do you begin to help people who are who are starting to confront the inflation monster and and starting to say this might be higher for longer, right? This could be worse than I'm being told. We know that, but maybe it's going to last longer than 
than my plans have allowed. What, how do you begin to crack that nut for people? Well, that's a good question. It depends on where they are in, in, in their life cycle. If you're a younger investor that starting out, um, then then you've got to be unbelievably aggressive and especially take into consideration history. So when inflation typically uh, takes off, that's that's tough for the markets. Now, there are periods of time where you've had higher inflation, like in Argentina, where the stock markets were a great place to be and they never had a correction. I don't believe that's the case in the United States right now because you've got you, you've got record high corporate profits because of lower debt levels and and smart moves on their uh, accounting. So you're going to lose that profitability as that inflation continues to come in because corporates are going to have costs that are going to come up, but um, they're going to work their way into those profits. And kind of like 1973, where you just have a reset in those multiples before you go higher. So the hard part is, is, you know, it, that's a that's an unbelievably good question, Chris, and something that I've been pondering for a long time. For the retired investor, you have to invest differently. There's no conservative way to protect yourself against inflation. There are strategies that can help manage that risk, which is one of the things that we implement. But you can't go buy a local CD and park it there uh, for 12 months or three, 36 months or five years with 100% of your portfolio and expect to be successful from the long term from an inflationary standpoint. You have to have risk assets in there and a plan to deal with that. If you're a younger investor, if you're coming out of college and you're new trying to start your household formation, you don't have assets. More than likely, you've got a lot of debt coming out of college if you're the average American. You're going to have to accumulate a lot of debt to get a car just to get a job. Um, and then how in the world are you going to be able to save enough right now with this increased uh, standard of living? And salaries have gone up some, but the median household income is still relatively low. If you're not in the right trade or you're not in the right income level, then you're going to have to stay at home for longer. And you're going to have to save and you're going to have to invest that money aggressively in categories that will benefit from inflation to try to accumulate enough so that you're in a position to take advantage of those inevitable pullbacks in price and to be able to purchase yourself a home and start your own house. But um, but it's, it's devastating across the board. That's what I've been saying for some time is inflation hurts everyone. Some people do better under an inflationary environment, but it is it is an equal opportunity punisher. It hurts everyone across the board, some worse than others. So, well, Chris, it's hard. I've had a lot of those conversations with my children. My son's making really good money right now in construction. And, uh, you know, the question is, he's like, Dad, I'm starting to see things slow down. I'm starting to see prices come down a little bit. He said, but, you know, I don't want to go buy a new truck right now. And I don't want to don't want to go speculate on a piece of real estate just because of the fact that that, you know, at eight and a quarter percent interest rate, and you're talking twenty five hundred a month, twenty six hundred a month and and payments on a three hundred thousand dollar home. And, you know, he says, I really don't think uh, and we've had these conversations that the economy has reset to offset that something has to give either salary is going to have to increase dramatically or those home prices are going to have to come down here in the short term or a combination of both. So I really don't have a clear answer to that question, except that you have to you have to be very, very aggressive in your cash management and you have to be very, very aggressive in, in your investments. And you have to either work with somebody or understand history enough to know what assets will benefit from inflation and be patient enough to endure the volatility you're going to go through.
Well, if if um, right now we at least officially we have what they're calling um, positive real rates of return on treasuries, right? So that the rate of inflation is lower than the rate of yield return on on a whole bunch of treasuries. So that's the story. Um, I'm not convinced that's true because um, you know when I interview Ed Butowski of the Chapwood Index, and he just say it very simply, adds up 200 items, you know, across uh, 50 major met- metropolitan areas, and he found he finds that inflation is actually running 2x to 3x hotter than officially described which feels more accurate to me, right? It's very hard to get ahead on on that front. So that's why I think everybody needs to be educated. That's why I really think, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to get rid of the Federal Reserve. They had a chance. They showed that they were not up to the task. I don't think it's really up to the task of any small group of unelected people. I think you have to just let markets run. And guess what? Sometimes they run a little hot and then sometimes they break a little, but that's okay, right? Uh, the Federal Reserve's tried to stage manage everything. Now's not a good time for a recession. Maybe we can make it softer. Maybe we can do this. We know the right price for money. And all they've done is create uh, malinvestment across the board. And that's very predictable. And, and of course, you know, Austrians, economists would have told them that was the case in the 40s, right? People resolved human behavior and money many decades ago. So, so I think we have to get rid of these activist, you know, Federal Reserve people. But it, the, at a minimum... You know, I think people need to understand they are not monetary engineers as much as they're social engineers. They decided we're going to reward rich people at the expense of poor people. We're going to create inflation, which is a regressive tax to bail out a few wealthy banker people. We're going to make sure the people who already have real estate are well rewarded and the people who can't get into that yet are screwed. Right. Those are social decisions. I don't remember anybody electing them. I don't know which school they went to to learn social engineering. But that's what the game has been. And there's nothing I can do about that. Nothing I can do about them playing that game, except uh, I buy gold, I buy silver, I buy trees, I buy soil, I buy, I, I grow my own food as much as possible. These are the my personal reactions and EVs. This is what we do. Like, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't stop. That. I know they're going to print again. I know they're going to print and they're going to go crazy, right? Oh, I'm just looking at a chart mysteriously out of nowhere that the this s&p just decided to rocket straight upwards right they're going to continue to monkey around with the stock market because that's what they need to do right yeah and gosh the feds probably released somebody's released out there oh we're going to get a big dovish statement tomorrow um or you know next week when the federal reserve uh speaks again it's you know my wife and i were talking one of the things that's interesting is I've been seeing these things under the surface for quite some time. You have been seeing them under the surface for quite some time, but the average individual was not feeling it. The average individual wasn't seeing this central planning and all of the government streams um, affect their daily life. Not to the point that it was burdensome for them, but my wife and I were talking, she's a health and PE teacher. And we're very fortunate because we have a good school system in our area because we still have a lot of good people involved that are, that are helping to influence that outcome. But yet you've got government policies that are pushed down from the top. And she made the comments miserable at this point. We spend more time checking off boxes and going through, you you know, um, events and regulations and filling out reports than we actually do teaching the kids. And there's a misery level within even a good school system now to where people don't know how to change the system, but they know it needs to change. 
They know it needs to change. And I'm with you. You know, we, we need these recessions. We need recessions so that so that we can clear out the, the deadwood in the economy so that people can be punished for foolish behavior. And, and my biggest concern is when you talk to people today, because we have technology that we've not had in history, the assumption is that we're smarter than all of those individuals in the past. Mm -hmm. Right. We, we have a level of arrogance in society and especially with our leaders now, they go, oh, those bunch of idiots, you know, they didn't have iPhones and they didn't have the computers and the technology that we have today. And they forget to realize that that a lot of our innovation and where we are today is built upon the knowledge of those in the past. And if we hadn't have had somebody in the past come up with that knowledge or, or looking for more efficient ways to do things, we wouldn't be here today. So there are there are incredible lessons to be considered in the past, especially economically, because economically, those are a part of our human nature. Right. That's the one thing that, that technology doesn't necessarily upgrade, no matter how much smarter we think we are. We're still influenced by our emotions of greed and fear and hindsight bias and. And, uh, you know, what is it? Roth the Belly has, which I read it all the time, the book called The Art of Thinking Clearly talks about all of our psychological biases and how that influences us. It's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. But that's the problem. Well, and I wish I wish it was like you're describing, though, that it was still humans. I don't think it's human. So um, can can you see this here? This is a, this is a live chart of the Dow Jones. And you see this right here. You see this at 12 o'clock on the dot. This is a one minute chart. So instantly. You see this huge increase in, in explosion in buying in the Dow. You know what happened? Right at 12 o'clock, uh, the Fed released a statement um, through, uh, they call it Nick, Nick Timurara, Tim, Timurara, uh, the Wall Street Journal reporter, um, I believe, uh, released an article right at, right at noon on the dot that says, um, this strikes me as a notable shift from Powell, who said, quote, indicators of wage growth show a gradual decline towards levels that would be consistent with 2% inflation over time. Right. That that explosion in buying that happened literally within in less than a minute. That isn't investors reading a statement that gets released that interprets something that Powell said. <laughs> That's machines. That is these mach are machines, right? <laughs> you are right, and those are those are machines, and those machines are moving, and and of course, you know, they're built with based on the assumption that the Fed's going to slam rates back to zero again. So all of a sudden, bye bye bye, the party's going to continue to go on forever. That that that's what mm -hmm. the market's trying to tell us at that point. So I'm curious to see how those next twelve months unfold. You know, well. You get to thinking about the next 12 months. We've got some unbelievable hurdles that we have to overcome. You've got presidential election with all the chaos that's going around that. Mm -hmm. We have no clue, you know, and there's no way to know, you know, whether the situation in Israel is going to be contained and over soon or if it's going to spill over into a larger conflict. Um mm -hmm. There's a lot. To, there's there's a, a lot of risks to have to navigate in the next 12 months. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, but, um, you know, Biden went over to Israel and then on the plane ride back, I guess he gave this interview. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's something seriously wrong with his face. He, he has like it's like his, his something's melting. Like he, he has 
his chin doesn't look like his chin. He had two big sort of like balls moving around under there. And, and it was very weird. Right. And that of course he's, weird. he's, he's obviously incoherent um, and, and senile at this point in time. And so the Chris's view, the chance of him legit, like, first off, he shouldn't be in office right now. I'm talking article 25. I mean, it couldn't be more obvious to anybody who's ever been around an old person who's way past their prime, that this guy is not fit for duty. Right. Um, that's my, some people may say that's my opinion. My opinion is if you can't see that there's something wrong with you at this stage. Right. right? So he's not going to make it over the goal line. So the question is, but I don't see the Democrats doing anything to sort of prep that. And they're just carrying on with the delusion that this is the guy we're going with. And so at some point they're going to have a crisis to try and say, Oh, not him, this other person. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then it raises the other obvious question. Well, if he's not fit to run, is he fit to serve? Like, right. like, so there could be a presidential sort of continuity crisis somewhere along the way here, because I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody. Literally, I know nobody who's like, yeah, Kamala would be a, a good, good. good <laughs> I, don't I don't even even the uh, the individuals that I know are 100 percent to the core, fully supportive of any um Democrat on the political side is not excited about having uh, Kamala uh, take over. But you know what? Uh, concerns, what concerns me, Chris, about watching that video of him talking, and I thought that was bizarre. Like I didn't, I don't even know what to think about that. You know what you're talking about on his chin, where it was that that, that was just like it kept drawing my eye. But I was so heartbroken over the fact of his just lack of cognitive ability, level of exhaustion, even the conversations that had taken place earlier in the day. And I got to thinking, you know, if, if I had a conversation with a client that I've worked with for the past 20 or 25 years, and that's the conversation we have on the phone, then I'm picking up because we try to put all these in place at a certain point. I'm picking up the phone and calling the kids or I'm tracking down if they don't have children, I'm tracking down family member and saying, look, there's some issues taking place right here. I don't know how bad it is, but there needs to be increased supervision we put increased supervision on everything in the portfolio to make sure they're not taken advantage of. So, you know, I know, and, and, and a lot of this is we do this anyway, but there's government regulation that's coming down that's saying, look, you have to be very careful and you have to watch out for these issues with the elderly because they're easier to take advantage of, greater chance for theft, fraud, you name it. So, you got divisions of the government from the Securities and Exchange Commission side, which wisely are helping advisors focus on that. So, but when you look at the political realm, my question is, one, why in the world is nobody stepping up around him and doing something about this? Why is the Democratic Party not stepping up and doing something about this? And, and removing him from a situation that is heartbreaking art on from for me to watch quite frankly so yeah, yeah. that leads me to believe that doesn't make sense to me because in our industry we would be putting alarm bells up everywhere so so if he is making the decisions that's scary because the thought process isn't fluid and and well considered so who is I mean, I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't know the answer to that. I'm just saying, well, maybe I am to an extent because a lot of conspiracy theories have come true. So, but I'm trying to back off in that and say, I don't know 100%, but it makes me ask that question. And I think any reasonable person would ask that question. If he's not making the decisions, who is? And if he's making the decisions, that's pretty scary. Because I'll tell you this, I wouldn't get in the car and drive down the road 80 miles an hour with him right now based on what I've seen. Mm-hmm. 
No, there's a duty to elder care and, and you know, baked in your industry, which I, I know well, um, you know, being regulated myself, it, it's, it's a real duty, but it, it's a duty within any family structure. But to me, it's just bizarre. And, and that we as a nation are supposed to continue to pretend as if this isn't as obvious as it is, right? It's that's the gap that drives me nuts because it's completely transparently obvious. And it's going to lead to very predictably some sort of a crisis between here and the election, right? It has to, um, it, it's some form. And, and maybe that gets resolved without a lot of, a lot of stuff. But at the same time, we have this backdrop where we need strong leadership more than ever. We may well have a financial crisis because, you know, we have this out of control spending and interest rates are going up. We have all kinds of geopolitical pressures that are going to require a high degree of nimble sophistication, right? And, you know, we're, we seem to be a little flat-footed uh, on and on and on. There, there's just a lot going on. And so, you know, I think it's time for everybody to be resilient, to be prepared, make sure that you have your financial house in order as best you possibly can, make sure that you're resilient in all the other areas, right? So, yeah, you know, eight forms of resilient. That's what we talk about in Prosper and uh, at Peak Prosperity. So, just just get resilient, folks. There's something coming. Um, I don't know if you saw it, Paul, but um, this is a little off off our usual reservation. But I, I put up I put out what I call a soft alert on the site a few days ago, and, yes, and a hard alert is, hey, here's some data. This just happened. You know, the the ten year just went up a whole percent. You know, something, some piece of data that would cause me to you know go into alarm mode. Very rare. I, I've only handed out I think five, maybe six, my whole career. Um, so they have to be pretty extreme. This one, I was like, God, I'm really struggling. I was talking with Nick and with Mike, and I was just struggling because I had this growing sense of dis-ease, mm -hmm. and I couldn't put my finger on it. So I was like, well, I better get that out there, because it was causing me to t undertake new behaviors, like order hot water heaters and things. I'm like, <laughs> well, that's my litmus test. Something is moving me to action. I just can't tell you what it is. So I put it out there. And what was amazing was the comments under that. So many people, and some of them I know, personally, because they've been part of the site for a decade, are just diehard, hyper-rational people going, hey, I've been sleeping badly. Hey, I've been having really vivid dreams. Hey, I don't know what it is either, right? So there's this collective unease that's out there right now. Um, and, and so I think that that to me, that sometimes that intuition is your first and best early warning sign that something's changing, right? I agree. And I just... Yeah. No, and I thought your soft alert was absolutely wonderful because I'd come in the office that morning. I woke up at three o'clock in the morning. I was praying about a couple of things, uh, just unsettled. And normally I'll wake up in the morning, I'll pray, okay, Lord, is there anything I can do better in my life? There's, you know, what do I need to look out for? Please grant me wisdom. Please help us to help people. And then I go back to sleep. But I couldn't go back to sleep. So I get up and walk around. I walk outside and I'm thinking, oh, you know, uh, I talked about the Honey Badger event. I was going to fill up that 550-gallon tank with uh, gasoline, and I've been busy since I got back. I'm like, okay, I've got to do that. Still haven't made that call. So I come in, looking at the markets. I'm seeing things crack around the edges, popping creek, but nothing actionable yet. And uh, I get done with my morning research, and, and I click over to your site, and I pull that up and, and read your article. And uh, actually, I listened to your audio. The audio was fantastic, by the way. And uh, so we didn't have a scheduled um, uh, investment committee meeting. And I'm like, okay, we're going to sit down because he's right. I can't put my finger on it, but he's right. I don't know if something's about to break, but you can feel it in the air. And uh, so I'm in agreement with you. I thought that was an absolutely wonderful alert because right now there's absolutely nothing wrong with, with anyone taking the time to sit down and revisit your plan. Okay, what will I do if this happens? 
how am I going to react if this takes place? What if the market starts to break down and it breaks a support level? And I'm complacent because I think that the Fed's going to cut rates, but yet we have a 1987 type decline. You know, you, you can't take anything for granted right now when everything's popping and creaking around the edges like this. And I think that the, the, the lag effect from higher interest rates is coming like a freight train in the next six months. Um, now, maybe there's something that the Fed can do to, 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 to cause this narrative to kick the can down the road. But, but I think uh, the markets are, are walking through a dark hallway, you know, with the assumption that the light, it, it, you know, they can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but they don't realize that there's somebody standing there with a baseball bat getting, getting ready to hit them in the mouth. That lag effect is coming with interest rates moving so quickly. So I think it is prudent. You're alert. You know, made me take our investment committee, which we would have met the next day anyway, but sit down and go, okay, let's assume worst case scenario. Let's assume that we're not going to get this year end market rally that we think might could potentially occur from a technical standpoint. Mm -hmm. Technical factors put it in place, computers ignite it, right? And it carries into the end of the year. What if that doesn't happen? you know, and, and we, we start to break down because we've already had, you know, going back to that long-term trend channel on interest rates that we looked at and, you know, you were talking about the head fake and I saw that as kind of the lighting of the fuse. We've had several things that have lit the fuse for a potential market decline. It hasn't occurred yet. This has been a longer than what's happened through most bear markets in history, but we're also coming off of a period of time where you've had, you know, interest rates lower than they've been in history government intervention, printing of money greater than it's been in history, fiscal debt accumulated in stimulus greater than it's been in history, substantially so. So, you know, you 20 have trillion to, of printing. It's <laughs> ridiculous. And uh, so so that complacency that's built in. So being aware, I mean, I thought that was such a service, a wise. A wise warning to individuals out there right now and even since then you know just some of the things that have taken place so thank you for that chris oh well th thanks for that reflection i'm glad to hear that well i don't know if i'm glad but it's confirming to hear that you too were having trouble sleeping because i've had it as well and it's, it's a thing that's happening you know and obviously there's a lot in the world we could focus on that to sort of point our finger at but it's just it's something bigger than that and i think there's that you know my larger framing for this is why i keep talking about energy is i i, I think there's this is a real change in trend for humans, right? And it's going to be really awkward for a while. And, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to take a while to figure it out. But this is really understanding that what we just had was then. And now there's a whole new world in front of us. And it's just going to be different. But so many people still want it to be like it was, you know, and it's just not going to be that way anymore for a whole lot of reasons. So again, I want people to be prepared. I, I think I think, you know, you said it well earlier, that this for the unaware, I think this is a, a time of great losing, right? It'll be perceived as a taking, but it'll be a losing because people were kind of willfully not paying attention. Oh, that's not my thing. I don't know. I don't like to look at that stuff. That seems like kind of doomerish or whatever their framing is. They don't look at it. You know, you got to, right? It's just, you know, there's a prognosis. Take a look at it. And then I think this is actually a chance where people are, are going to do very well for themselves potentially, but it's going to be, you're going to have to take some risks. You're going to have to, you know, actually move in an environment where you have imperfect information and still make decisions, right? Because that's the nature of, of times like these. So, so uh, thanks for helping people do that. Um, 
It's a really great service you're providing. And so for anybody who's interested in having a conversation like this with, with a financial advisor, like Paul, um, you would go to Peak Financial Investing, fill out the quick form. And there's a whole process, Paul, that, that um, operates very smoothly at this point to help people have that conversation. And I've been getting, again, just great feedback from people saying how much they enjoy and sometimes it's not enjoy is maybe not the right word because it's really they're relieved to finally right. have a conversation where they can actually just have the conversation sometimes they may not like the conclusion right. but that's different it it's it there is a form of relief that comes from from at least having the conversation you know you're supposed to have right yeah and you it's you don't want yeah it's just it's really really yeah i don't I need a different word. I'm sure the Germans have a word for it. <laughs> it has been an honor, Chris. It's been, it's just been quite refreshing. And the one thing that I will say, the people that I met at the Honey Badger event, the clients, the, 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 the people that you are reaching out to that are following, they're fantastic, wonderful individuals. They're, their eyes are wide open. They have the courage to follow the truth wherever it will take them. And they're not willfully blind. You know, I think those that are going to get hurt, the taking from them have been willfully blind and they don't, they quite frankly, don't have the courage to look with honest eyes about what's taking place around them because it is a lot easier just to stick your head in the sand and go, no, 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 You know, stick your fingers like the three monkeys with the blind, the deaf and the dumb. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. But those individuals that I have met uh, through your following, Chris, are just that they are the people who are going to make the world a better place on the other side of this. They are. But one of the things that I've enjoyed, and just for you listeners out there who go, well, you know, if I take the time to talk to Paul and his team, you know, what in the world is going to happen? So our only responsibility is to kind of help you develop a plan with your finances to make sure that you can manage them wisely and prudently. So I was meeting with somebody here recently just didn't know what to do. Haven't been able to find anybody that they trust that can even understand the concerns that they are, are seeing tr with truthful eyes. So the first thing we do is go through a retirement plan analysis. And, and I go, here's your initial and here's a couple of options that you consider. So, you know, initially the individual had like a 30% probability of success when we look back through all of history and do actual historical stress tests. Of course, that's just, it, it, it's not a predictor of the future. It just kind of looks like through what happened in history, the Great Depression, World War II, the great inflation of the 70s, would, have you, would you have survived those periods based on what you're doing? And I'm not going to walk out the front door of my office if I have a 70% probability of being struck by lightning within the next hour, right? You wouldn't, mm -hmm. you wouldn't walk out of your room either if that was the odds are not in your favor. So I had some conversations. I said, forget about strategy. Let's just, you know, right now, how to manage those assets. Let's just talk. If you were to look at, make these changes and, and consider taking this path, we were able to get them up to a 92% probability of success and then saving a little bit more, get them to 100. So they would have been able to survive the Great Depression. We have an unknown future. Uh, so I lay that groundwork and then we go to the conversation of, okay, this is how we manage risk. This is what we do. It's not perfect, but it can protect you against those strengths. And this is how we adapt, no matter what comes at us in the future. And it helps build that confidence for people to say, look, now I know how to do something. I know somebody who understands the path. I've got a good plan in place and we can make minor adaptations as we go along instead of waking up one day and going, well, you know, 
it's too late for me to prepare, so I have to, or it's too late to make a minor adaption, I have to make a major adaption. So, so that's been so fun for me to do because we're adding a lot of value to people just on the conversation. And we don't, you know, those initial consultations are free, whether they do business with us or not, and allow us to help them through that journey. They're going to be better off because we've had a chance to do that scenario planning with them. Indeed. Indeed. So very well said. And thank you for performing that service. Uh, it's again, highly valuable for everybody that I've talked to so far. And it's just wonderful. So thanks uh, for that. Thanks for your time today. And um, best of luck with the remainder of the week. And uh, we'll see you back next week. Look forward to it, Chris. Have a wonderful day. Always a pleasure. Likewise. All right, everybody, you've been listening to another episode of Finance University. I'll let you shorten that acronym up in your own head. Um, and this is uh, just we're here to help help you understand stuff. Education, context, action. That's what really needs to, to be done at this point. So thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Hello, Chris Martinson. I'm the CEO of Peak Prosperity and also Peak Financial Investing. And after watching that, you're probably wondering, well, what do I do with my money? Look, you both deserve and need somebody who can talk to you about what's really going on in this world understand the situation as it is, not be steering you towards certain things that don't make sense for you or just keep you in a game that's already ended. Look, if you want to talk to somebody about the petrodollar declining or what is happening with gold or which sectors are actually the best ones to be in, given what the Federal Reserve is up to or the federal government, you deserve to talk to somebody who can answer those and has a few gray hairs and has been there through some of the economic cycles because, hey, we're in another economic cycle. So it's good to have that experience. Fortunately, at Peak Financial Investing, what we do is we go out and we scour and we look for the very best firms out there who satisfy one thing above all else. They've got great experience coupled to great customer service. So if you want to come by peakfinancialinvesting.com, there's a very simple form you can fill out. Just a few fields. You hit send. What happens is an email gets triggered out. It goes to uh, an endorsed firm of ours. You will get an email back. You can then set up a phone call for a 30 to 45 minute free, no obligation, no pressure call to find out if this firm is a good fit for you and to find out if you're a good fit for the firm. It has to go both ways. And if all that matches up, this will be one of the best things that could happen to you this year. So please come by peakfinancialinvesting.com. Very simple process. We would love to help you if we can. Thanks very much.